this was a very flimsy allegation um, put together by the Polyev campaign to disqualify an adversary they were very worried about. That's the voice of Patrick Brown. He's the current mayor of Brampton, Ontario. But last year, he wanted to be the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And while the party was holding its leadership race, Brown was considered a key contender for the job. Except after four months of campaigning, in July, his party disqualified him from the race, saying his team had committed serious violations of election financing rules. Pierre Polyev would go on to win the leadership, become leader of the opposition, and possibly even the next prime minister if he beats Justin Trudeau in the next election. So you're wondering, well, what does this all have to do with Canada's Jewish community? Well, here's what. Before Brown was kicked out of the leadership race, he did a campaign tour through Montreal, and he sat down for an interview with a journalist for an Arabic-language newspaper there called Sada al-Mashrek. The paper went on to publish a story, quoting Brown saying he wouldn't move the Canadian embassy to Jerusalem, and something to the effect that he thought Palestinians should get a lot more help from Canada compared to what Canada was extending to Ukrainian refugees. When the interview was published, former Conservative Senator Linda Frum posted two tweets to her 23,000 followers, and she called Brown out for seeming to cozy up with a newspaper she said has published lots of articles supporting Hezbollah, a terrorist organization, and for seeming to backtrack on long-standing Conservative Party policy on Israel. That was in April of 2022. She soon received a lawyer's letter from the newspaper advising her they were suing her for defamation. The paper wanted $2.5 million. The legal proceedings stretched on for months. All of it was kept quiet on the advice of lawyers, but Frum has just won her day in court, and the lawsuit against her has been thrown out. This was just taking a real shot at me as a representative of my community, as a Zionist. It was just too big a fight for me to to give it, to to say, uncle, there's no way, no way. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, May the 23rd, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Before we go any further with this story of political and legal intrigue, you should know that Linda Frum is married to the sponsor of our podcast, Metropia, and Metropia's CEO is Howard Sokolovsky, and he's one of Pierre Polyev's major fundraisers. And all of this could have made it a little awkward for us at the CJN Daily to report on the story, but it's an important case, and so now we've disclosed all the potential conflicts of interest. I'm joined by Linda Frum from Toronto. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Alan. We weren't actually aware there was a lawsuit, so maybe it was kept quiet. I was very quiet about this lawsuit when it was going on, so you're not, uh, you're not remiss that you weren't aware. But yes, so we had to go back one year, uh, back in April of 2022, during the Conservative leadership race. And uh, at that time, uh, Patrick Brown was seen as the main challenger to Pierre Polyev. And he granted an interview to a newspaper called Sada al-Mashrek, which is based out of Montreal. It's primarily an Arabic newspaper, but obviously they conducted this interview in English and they posted on their website. And when I read the interview, I was really alarmed because Patrick Brown said a number of things uh, that were disturbing to me. Um, among them, and the main one among them, was that he wanted to reverse Conservative Party policy on moving the uh, Canadian embassy 
to to Jerusalem. He he doesn't agree with that, and he said that if he became the leader and ultimately the prime minister, that is not a policy he would pursue. And he furthermore said that in order to make that happen, he needed more non-traditional conservative voters to join the conservative party, support him to help make him leader so he could achieve that. So uh, I found that really an alarming thing. I also was bothered by the idea that he knew he was giving this interview to an Arabic language newspaper. And I think he presumed most conservative party members would not be aware he had said these things. So I tweeted about it and uh, I flagged what I didn't like about the interview. There were other things. He's talked about how Canada needed to treat Palestinian refugees the same way Canada treats Ukrainian refugees, as if these two issues are the same, and they're obviously not. Uh, he also tried to bury his record on BDS to seem more favorable to the readers of Sada al mashrak I tweeted about these things. And then at the end of those tweets, I said, in addition, and this was a separate tweet, that it was um, it was disturbing that he had given this interview to the official voice of Hezbollah in Canada. A, tweet, a fellow Twitter person challenged me and said, are you for real? Are you really suggesting they're the official voice of Hezbollah in Canada? That's an outrageous claim. And I said, okay, fair point. They are the unofficial voice of Hezbollah in Canada. I have to say, these tweets got very low interaction. Okay, <laughs> They were not seen by a lot of people. It's one of the reasons why you don't haven't heard about this before, because the tweets were not well-traveled, uh, which was disappointing to me because I thought it was a really important thing, but c'est la vie. So about a month later, I get a letter from Stephen Ellis, who is notorious, I'm sure, to your listeners, because he is the lawyer who represents Leif Marouf and all the disgusting tweets that that guy puts out. Stephen Ellis is a great defender of his uh, freedom of speech, just called choose back of human excrement. But my tweets, he took great offense to and said that if I did not delete them, that he, his client, the newspaper would sue me for $2 million plus $500,000 of damages. But I really, frankly, didn't take it very seriously. And I thought there's no way he's going to sue me for two and a half million dollars because he has no case. But (laughs) then I got a letter sometime in in the summer saying, where shall I, where can I serve you? Would you like to be served at home? Or do you have a lawyer I can send, send our statement of claim to? And they, they sued me. I know we should just be full disclosure that your husband is one of the sponsors. So I have to say that is my sponsor, but also your family has supported another candidate, not Patrick Brown. So how did that all play out during the leadership race too? So yes, my husband um, was a uh, a co-chair of Pierre Polyev's fundraising campaign. Um, at the time, I was the chair of the board of UJA Federation. So I was officially neutral in the race. I did not declare. Um, I will say that if I um, was able to declare, I would have declared for Pierre. There's, he's a friend of mine. I, I support him, and you know, I think very highly of him. However, I was really very disciplined during the leadership race, um, out of uh, respect for my position at UJA, and I stayed out of the out of the race. Uh, but Howard, yes, my husband, he was supporting Pierre. Uh, the reason I felt comfortable tweeting because in my position as UJA Federation Chair. My job is to look out for the interests of the Jewish community. I felt that that, that uh, calling out what Patrick Brown said was actually a necessary thing for me to do as a Jewish leader 
And it, it was beyond any sense of uh, partisan choice as between the candidates. So that's my job to let Jews, my fellow, my community members know about that. Ultimately, uh, we should tell our listeners that Patrick's Brown people reached out to the Canadian Jewish News at the time yes. and said, we'll, we'll make, you avail- make him available to you. Do you want he wants to talk to the Jewish community and deny that he said this or kind of smooth over. And I said, fine, give me the tape first. Because I see in the pictures that there was tape. There were two cell phones recording because he denied that he said any of this. And there was never any tape given. And the other newspaper would not talk to us. So we dropped this story because we said, this is politics. This is somebody's trying to smear someone else. And I'm not getting involved unless we have the audio. Because I can't read Arabic. So I don't know what he said. And that's where it ended. And then Patrick Brown, career in as, as leader, you know, died. Can I just interject? And I really am not saying this. Um, because my husband sponsored through the broadcast, but I think you're an incredible journalist, and I think that that is a very responsible position. And I knew that uh, because I'm so immersed in this story now. I knew that he, Patrick, denied that he said those things. I knew that you had put out an offer for him to correct the record. I did not know he refused to hand over those tapes. That's interesting. I mean, isn't this just how politics works? You say what every audience wants you to say, but it's politics, right? And then you go to the the left side and the right side and you say whatever they think you're going to say. One of our columnists wrote that as well. So no, I, I actually don't agree with that. I I think that there can and still should be principle in politics. Uh, the, the leaders that I have supported in my political past have been people that I believe say the same thing consistently, regardless of who the audience is. That is one of my biggest litmus tests for a leader. Are you consistent? Uh, and one of the reasons people are cynical about politics, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, because of course, it's not that it's not that you're not right. Of course, politicians do do that. They tailor their message to their audience, even if it's contradictory to the very last mess, uh, speech they just gave. But that's not okay. It's not right. We shouldn't accept that, and we should call them out on that. I also think there was something of a very... Um, ill nature to be appealing to a community to undermine the um, policies of a party that that get voted on at a convention with members who show up and to say, if you vote for me, I'll erase all of that democratic input. That's uh, very disturbing to me. Let's talk about the lawsuit itself. So you um, went through this. The judgment came out in favor of freedom of speech. And many journalists have had this slap I've been threatened to be sued before by my reporting on certain topics. It doesn't stop you from saying what's right, but it does give you pause, especially if you don't have a lot of resources, financial resources, to be able to fight something like this. So why did you want to go ahead and why didn't you just settle? Yeah, I really do appreciate that. And I agree that very often these tactics of intimidation do work precisely for the reason that you say, you know, that uh, people just say it's not, I can't, I don't have the money or I have it, but I don't feel like wasting it on this. I just couldn't say that. I, I, I felt like, no, you are trying to threaten me. It's not just a little threat. You're saying that uh, you're going to sue me for, it was probably the outrageous sum of money they were suing me for, the two and a half million dollars. I thought they're trying to intimidate me like big, <laughs> not just little. And it just got my back up. I'm just no. I I'm not going to delete these tweet the, these tweets that have been 
retweeted six times. I mean, it's actually a joke. It's a joke that you are taking the time to sue me over a tweet that at that point now it's been seen much more. I mean, this is the great ridiculous irony of this whole thing is that now I'm talking about it more. Now more people are aware the tweet has been retweeted many more times in the last week than it was in the last year since it was tweeted originally because they brought attention to this. But to answer your question, I just don't take well to bullies. I don't like bullies. I don't like being bullied. And I am fortunate enough to be in a position to say, you know, I'm going to pay the bills. I'll pay the legal fees. It's fine because this is too important to let go because I knew that if they intimidated me into deleting tweets, that that would get them really excited. And it would only be a matter of time before they started approaching you and other people in the community to say, uh, delete the tweets. And and having this in their pocket, knowing we got Linda Frumba to delete her tweets, who else can we get? And it would start them on a roll. So I did feel that there was an extremely important principle to defend here and that I had to stop them early from this tactic, which, you know, they were very public about that this is something, this is a tactic they plan to use much more in the future. But in terms of this newspaper, was it just bad judgment, do you think, on his staffer's part that they accepted this offer? No, I think that this was part of a strategy. This was part of a winning strategy about uh, reaching out to non-traditional uh, conservative communities, because <laughs> communities who are non-traditional supporting the conservative party, I can phrase that better, and to try and sign them up because leadership races are won by who you can sign up. And it was a, it was an absolute conscious strategy on the part of Patrick Brown and his people uh, to to win the race, to find new groups of people to support him. And what he promised them was that he would reverse conservative policy on Israel. There was nothing mistaken or accidental about the interview, about what he said. Um, the mistake was that the newspaper in question, Sada al-Mashrek, their mistake was to sue me for calling them the unofficial voice of Hezbollah when, if anybody wants to take a look at their website and read the articles there, it won't take anyone very long to see that they are the unofficial voice of Hezbollah in Canada. And um, why did you go public with this? Because you could have had an NDA and settled this whole thing, no? Did they offer that? Well, during during the process, many times they said, okay, why don't we just drop the whole thing? I'm like, no, you started this. You suit me. And, and I have a lot of costs. I want my costs back. And I have a point to make, which is you have to stop harassing and trying to silence Jewish voices. Because that's what this is. I'm not the only one who has associated this newspaper with the Iranian regime and Hezbollah. Uh, I maybe am the only Jewish person, and I happen to be the one that they sued. So why did they sue me and not the Journal de Montréal? Uh, you know, not you know some other other uh, Twitter people who have said prominent Twitter people have said this. Why did they pick me? Oh, because I'm the Jew. This was very much about going after the Jewish that was in that was in their materials. They feel I'm a representative of the Zionist lobby. And um, did you have to get extra protection for this? Or is there any security ramifications because of who you're tangling with? I am worried. And I, I did consult with some experts, um, some terror experts who are familiar with Hezbollah in Canada. I actually did call somebody very prominent. Um, actually, he's based in the U.S., but he's an expert. And I did ask him uh, to uh, do a risk assessment for me. Um, 
And, you know, listen, of course that crossed my mind. And so this is the thing. I don't want to sound glib uh, because it, 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 taking this on, no matter who you are, is uh, it, it is a burden. It is oppressive. And, and, there's, and it can be frightening at times when you sort of think about, well, who am I up against exactly? I am up against people who are who are aligned and support Hezbollah. Like that's not, that's not a, you know, an easy fight to engage in. Um, so I'm not trying to say that I didn't have times when I thought like, yikes. Uh, but again, I came back to this, this idea that I have responsibility to my community. I have responsibility to my principles. I have responsibility uh, to journalism, that people should be allowed to say the truth. And if this, Fighting this case means that that has been a little bit more protected and a little bit more preserved Then I feel very good about that. By the way, Frum's criticism of Patrick Brown wasn't the only time she's used her followers on Twitter to call out politicians who she thinks cross the line when it comes to their support for anti-Israel positions. A year earlier, when she was still a sitting senator in the summer of 2021, she criticized a newly appointed liberal senator, Hassan Youssef, for being an Israel hater. He had formerly been head of the Canadian Labour Congress, and his union had opposed Ontario's adopting the IRA definition of anti-Semitism and opposed Israel's settlements and called for the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign against Israeli products made in the West Bank. She resigned from her Senate position shortly after to focus on fighting anti-Semitism in the Toronto Jewish community, where she was chair of the UJA Toronto Federation Board. And that is what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. My apologies if my voice is a little raw today, but it's because we spent the day yesterday at the UJA's Walk for Israel in Toronto, meeting and greeting our readers and our listeners at the CJN's booth. Police estimate 25,000 people walked or biked through the streets of North Toronto to raise over $2 million for charity work in Israel. The 54th Walk with Israel is officially underway. And today's listener shout-out goes to Anne Karen Katz, who was also there with her daughter walking. And here's a little bit of what it sounded like at the walk with Israel's Consul General in Toronto, Edith Shamir, hinting that despite the current protests against the Netanyahu government reforms in Israel, that won't change the Toronto Jewish community's ties with the Jewish state. Israel and the diaspora is a family bond and a shared fate. Politics may change and sway, but one thing that could never change is our unwavering support for a Jewish and democratic Israel. That is what connects us all, and it's a connection we should be proud of. 